Hello and welcome to a Mighty Blaze podcast, now part of the Writer's Bone Podcast Network. I'm your host, Trisha Blanchett. A Mighty Blaze is your online and audio destination for the very best interviews with blockbuster authors, debut writers, and everyone in between. Dear listener, today's special guest probably needs no introduction, but just in case you're new to reading or bookstores or the very best popular American writers, I guess I'll make sure to mention that Lisa Scottolini is the Edgar Award-winning New York Times best-selling author of 34 insanely popular novels, including Eternal, Someone Knows, One Perfect Lie, Dirty Blonde, and so many more. She came to Crime Time to talk with fellow best-selling author Hank Phillippe Ryan about her non-traditional approach to writing, why she visited a ghost forest, and the driving force behind her latest release, What Happened to the Bennetts. So settle in and enjoy the conversation between two friends and writers as I pass the blaze torch to Hank and her lively, lovable guest, Lisa Scottolini. Good afternoon, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Tuesday, and it is 3 p.m. ET, and that means you have found us at a special edition, a super special edition of Crime Time. I am your host, Hank Phillippe Ryan, the author of 13 Novels of Suspense. The newest one, Her Perfect Life, is now nominated for the Agatha for Best Novel of the Year, so that is great, and thank you very much. Today, we have, I said it was super special, today we have the just glorious honor of talking with the fantastic Lisa Scottolini, whose brand new What Happened to the Bennetts is out now in an absolute blaze of glory. Look at the people already arriving here, Sherry and Shannon and Pamela saying, hello, 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 hello. Everyone is here and gathering. Sherry is saying, Lisa, I love all your books. Of course Aww. you do. That is amazing. Lisa, this book, welcome. This book is astonishing. Let me tell you all something really, really quickly. People Magazine says, Scottolini just keeps ratcheting up the pressure in what may be her most emotionally intense nail biter to date. People Magazine, tell us all about it. <laughs> Pretty incredible. Hank, thank you so much for having me. Thanks to Almighty Blaze, which we love. Thanks to everybody for being here. But Hank, you're too nice to do this because you know I love and adore you as a person. And I also love your novels and Her Perfect Life was amazing. Your best yet. I think you just, I'm, I'm so excited for you. I know politically I'm not supposed to say, hope you win, but I hope you win. Louise Penny is already is also nominated also. I, lovely yes. to be in her company as well yes. as the other marvelous <laughs> nominees, but thank you. And she is terrific too. And we are, and I, but I just, um, I'm just really thrilled to be here today. Thanks. And thanks for all the nice thing you said. Yes, People Magazine. I actually just got back from going to the Wawa and buying five copies. What is the Wawa? And tell us why you bought five copies. Because, well, the, the Wawa is the Philly version of 7-Eleven. And we all live in Wawa because you end up like needing everything. So you're always running into a convenience store. And um, I bought five copies because, you know what the funny thing is? 
I know three years from now, I will throw them away. But what I, what I do though, because I'm gonna tell you what I'm a dork I am since people are here, we might as well tell them the low down dirty truth. If you, this is my down, this is my, this is my kind of new office. That's a long story. I got rid of my ex-husband's pool table. That's thing two. It's a whole new story. But my upstairs office is where I have, um, because I have so little self-esteem, I frame everything good that happens to me. So if People Magazine picks you as book of the week, you get five copies of People Magazine. You frame it. You get three so they get the frame right and get everything right in the title. And then you put it on your wall to bolster your sagging view of yourself. And that's that's why. Writers are so needy. I mean, I love hearing this because if someone like you can admit to needing a pat on the back, um, it, it really proves that it, maybe there's no hope for any of us. That room, Lisa, must be astonishing. What's, what all is on the walls? Well, everything good that has happened to me in 30 years, except for well, my daughter. It's the best thing that has happened to me in 30 years. But yes, I absolutely admit it. Everybody needs a pat on the back. I need a big hug and maybe like a French kiss. Does anyone say that anymore? I mean, no one says that anymore. How would we know? I don't have any idea. I love positive reinforcement and I give it. And I think it's important to express love and joy and gratitude. I feel it all the time, don't you? I mean, in this job, in a life in books, I maybe because we've both been at this for a while and I feel like we've both earned this career so hard that I know how sweet it is to be at a place where you have a book and you have a, a wonderful publisher and there are people who wait for it. And you, I mean, that's just, a, it's, a, it's a dream come true. It really is. Is it a dream come true? Have you always wanted to be a writer? I Well, I was a lawyer, but I secretly always wanted to be a writer. Wow. I secretly always wanted to be Nancy Drew. So wow. if you're not going to be Nancy Drew, the second best thing you can be is to write like Nancy Drew and write about characters like Nancy Drew. And, um, so yes, secretly, yes. I mean, being uh, a lawyer is being a storyteller as well, is weaving a persuasive tale to tell people, to convince them that the world is a certain way. And that's a huge talent. That's a huge skill. I love what you said about Nancy Drew because I felt the same way about Sherlock Holmes. And I decided <laughs> that it might be cooler to be Sherlock Holmes than write about Sherlock Holmes. And I think that may be why I became an investigative reporter, which is the same, it's the same sort of decision um, that, that got made. Have you been having, I mean, this is a strange, strange time to yeah. put out a book. Right. Has it affected you at all? I mean, people are clamoring about this book. I have, I've heard every single month, one of my pals is holding this book up. I'll do it myself. Holding this <laughs> book up on social media saying, love, 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 best ever. Well, I think it's so interesting that you brought up that you, that you are an investigative reporter and now you also write. And I think these are your question about what, how does that, how does that affect what happened to the Bennetts? I think it did in spades oh. because what happened to the Bennetts, the story in short is a family coming home from a kid's uh, field hockey game, horribly their car jacked, it goes terribly wrong and they find themselves in federal witness protection. I'm not gonna no, tell stop, you- anymore. Stop, stop, Don't tell any more than that because okay. what I need to do is first thank you for your kind words about A Mighty Blaze. We absolutely 
Love it. And if you are new to Crime Time on A Mighty Blaze, let me just remind you or tell you that A Mighty Blaze was started about two years ago at the beginning of the pandemic by the fabulous powerhouse team of Jenna Blum and Caroline Lovett to right. sort of keep us together and keep us discovering new books. And so authors like Lisa and all of our wonderful pals can connect with you and see you even from the gorgeous comfort of your own downstairs office, not the upstairs office where all the glory walls are. But it's important to keep us together and it's important to keep us talking about books and it's important to keep our community together. And that's what um, A Mighty Blaze was formed to do. And we are now into our third year persevering as we are all persevering. And quickly speaking of persevering, let me just take 10 seconds to send out all of our, I don't know, joy and best wishes and hopes for the people of Ukraine who are having an absolutely horrendous and hideous and terrifying time, unbelievable time. Um, and again, it shows us that we are all about community and that we are all about sticking together for justice and good and communication. And we are lucky that, gosh, when someone comes knocking at our door, it is not terrifying. And so we are heartbroken for Ukraine and wish them all the best. Right. Um, speaking of wishing all the best, Lisa Scottolini, and I'm gonna take 10 more seconds. So all of you who may not know her, well, that's nobody, but I'm gonna do this anyway. I'm gonna read you her quickly her bio, and then we'll get to questions about her new book, What Happened to the Bennetts, which she is generously giving away a copy of today. So leave a comment in the comments, where else would you leave them? And you will be entered to win in the Wheel of Fun at the end. And I'll show you what that is too. Uh, a copy of what happened to the Bennett. I see all the hearts. The hearts are Judy is here and Bozania is here and Brenda and Sherry and Liz. Oh my golly. Um, Judy saying I'm new to a mighty blaze. Lots of fun. Welcome. 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 Nice to see you. Lisa Scottolini. Yes. Is the number one best-selling author of 34 novels, including her brand new domestic thriller, What Happened to the Bennett's. This is the choreography and her first ever historical novel, Eternal. All, look at that gorgeous thing, oh, it's beautiful and fantastic. There are more than 30 million of Lisa's books in print and she has published in more than 35 countries. She also has a series of humor books written with her fabulous daughter, Francesca Saratella, based on their weekly column in the Philadelphia Inquirer. Lisa has served as president of Mystery Writers of America. I think they gave you a tiara for that. <laughs> and taught a class called Justice in Fiction at the University of Pennsylvania Law School, her alma mater. And you all know Lisa Scottolini and her new book right now, What Happened to the Bennett. So I wanna to talk to you about parental love and betrayal and justice mm -hmm. and heroes and being a regular guy, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So I don't wanna to say too much. And you said the book started out with a carjacking where a, fa a suburban family, talk a little bit about that, how it just begins, because whoa, from page one, it takes off. Well, you're so sweet. And I just want to tie in what, with what you started to say earlier, because I thought it was such an interesting point. We live in such a complex and turbulent time, really. And to a certain extent, institutions are letting us down. You know, regardless of what your political stripe is, you're probably not real happy with Congress or the Supreme Court. And I've been writing over the arc of time where I remember when you couldn't, like people couldn't even name a Supreme Court member. Now we all have opinions, all that's all Michigas and Ajita and other words for all the stuff we're feeling. 
But I think it's so interesting when you said you were an investigative reporter. And I think as a writer, and especially if we write, you know, crime fiction, which is has a protagonist like Jason Bennett's, what I what I love is that I love the uh, I love the non-expert sleuth. I love a guy who's a regular guy. In fact, for Jason, I channeled my dad. And um, who's going to have be in this horrible situation, which could happen. And we're all in horrible situations and like not even, we don't even get the pandemic and world war, right? We have really difficult stuff to deal with. And for myself, I think I wouldn't have written this book 10 years ago. Right now, I feel like I was feeling, wow, you've got to go within You've got to use your own resources. You've got to find power you didn't know you have. That's what we're doing every damn day lately. And um, do I sound pissed? Yeah, kind of. But I mean, we are all trying to find that fortitude and that resilience and that staying power that I think we have in spades. So I think in answer to your question, that's how it kind of bleeds into the book in the best way, even though it sounds kind of grim. But well, um, I do think finding, you know, what you said about finding power that you didn't know you have is such the driving force of this book, such the growth of Jason Bennett, who starts out as a dad with a wife and two kids, you know, in a, in a happy life. I was reading some, I was reading something that said every good novel, there's only one plot in every good novel. And that is something happens that shouldn't. And what is it that ah! happens at the beginning, right at the beginning of this book? Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I've had the um, I've heard that the the idea of there there every novel there's only two plots: a man goes on a quest or a stranger comes to town, which is sort of interesting because in a which way is this same, is a depending on, which is the same. It's the same story depending on your point of view, right? Exactly, you genius. I thought of that the other day, and I was like, why doesn't anyone say that? And here you said it. That's exactly right. You know. So basically what Jason is a little of both because yeah. here he is in this horrible situation. And what I sort of learned briefly was that the, um, you know, the family finds himself in witness protection. And when you learn enough about witness protection, and I take my research really seriously and do it pretty thoroughly. And even though I joke around something like this, you know, and what the, what I learned is that the federal witness protection program has never lost anybody. They have, they have kept everybody alive in their care. Wow. But also they um, generally are hiding away uh, previous felons who are looking for a new life and looking for salvation and not to mention a monthly stipend. So at least for starters. So they haven't generally that I was able to research had a whole family that's just a normal family on Facebook and Insta and yoga class and girlfriends and a guy, the dad who has a business and the mom who has a business. You get the idea. What's going to happen to that family? I said, well, realistically, what would happen and what I, I only do the book about what would logically happen next and what starts to happen with them is the, the threat to them is not extrinsic. It is not bad guys attacking them. It is from within that they start to implode and crumble when you take away everything that they hold dear, mainly their connections to family, to friends, to the outside world. I mean, um, it's just so chilling. The book is so chilling. And it starts, um, as you were saying, with the carjacking of this family. And on page one, we learn so much about each of the main characters in this family brilliantly. Talk a little bit about how you did that and why you did that. Oh, you're so nice to say that. Cause really I had a hard job. Cause I, not that I'm whining about it, but I was like, Lisa, I talk to myself a lot. Cause I live alone. Right. I'm like Lisa, I always look up. You said something again. Um, but it's a little bit like, 
you know, our job as, as writers is to show and not tell. Like, I can't, I don't want to tell you about the people. I want to show you what, the, how they react. And then you draw your conclusion. People read are smart. And I said, well, this is interesting because the, the idea for this book, weirdly, just came out of the fact that one day I was tailgated. I was tailgated on the very stretch of road in this book. Oh. I changed the name. But I was like, damn it. Get off my bumper. I hate tailgaters. I couldn't move over. And honestly, I was scared. I was like, what if? What if gives rise to a lot of books? And so here I was. And then um, then I said, well, use that. Because how, are you, how you respond to a tailgater tells something about you. So here's Jason in the car. He's driving. His wife's in the passenger seat. And she's on her phone because they've just come from the game. And she's posting pictures. And she's like, honey, speed up. You know, I want to get home. She's a little task oriented. A little bit like me, you know, if I get home, I got to do this X, Y, Z. I got to let the dog out. I got to make sure I answer my email. I got to, and then I go to bed. She's got blah, 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 things to do. And the kids in the back, the girls on the thing, talking to all her friends about her dad making jokes. And the, and the little boy, the 13 year old is going, dad, come on, race, smoke this guy. We can, he can eat, you know, all this kind of like, but the, but I said to myself, well, who is Jason? Well, Jason, you know, you're trying to really limb out who is a hero. What is powerful? We love superheroes. We love the strongest, smartest, richest guy. What about the guy who isn't? What about an ordinary great guy who is perfect husband material? Like if I met this guy, I would never divorce him. I'm pretty sure about that. <laughs> he could be my new ex-husband, but in any event... Um, <laughs> So but he's in the front seat driving as his family yes. is saying, either hurry up, go really, really fast, yes. or let's just get out of here. And what is going through his mind? And this is page one, you all, of this what happened to the Bennetts. And don't forget to leave a question or a comment because Lisa is giving away a copy of the book. And the rest of you go buy this book instantly because you will love it. So what is going through Jason's mind? He kind of pushes back a little in a nice way because he's a lot like my dad. And my dad was pretty mellow, even though he was terrific and a great father. Because partly you're thinking about what is a father. Jason thinks to himself, I don't want to speed up. I don't want to give the guy a hard time. Jason's a peaceable guy. He's a reasonable guy. He owns a, he owns a business. It's a court reporting business. He's an elite court reporter. He knows a lot of law. He dropped out of law school. But he says to them, I have a right to go the speed I want which honestly is what I think when I'm getting tailgated. And not in a right fighter kind of way, but more in a way like, hey, peace, pal. And so he says, you know, I'm kind of a scenic route kind of guy. And I thought that's a good character, at least I was thinking to myself, because you, you want to see what's going to happen to a scenic route kind of guy. He's not saying I'm weak. He's saying I'm chill. Yeah. So... What happens when the worst thing happens or the wrong thing happens to these people? And he is, and the institutions begin to not work for him. And in the end, he has to decide, can he step up? If so, how? And will he? And what will he risk? It's interesting, isn't it? Because you think you have your world the way it works and you think everything is going to go along the same way every day in a, in a, in a process that in a progression that you can expect. And then one thing happens and it knocks the dominoes of your life over. And right. every decision you make after that might reveal something about you and about the people around you. Absolutely. Emotionally and 
emotions and secrets and powers. Talk a little bit about how you developed the care. I mean, you don't pull any punches in this book. It's suspenseful and heartbreaking and gasp worthy throughout. How did you create this story? Because everything happens for a reason in it. Right. And I think you just create, now I would encourage anybody who wants to write and there's no rules. And I'm the, I'm the, I'm the poster child for there's no rules because I have no rules. I basically just start, this is my actual desk, my fancy desk. And um, I um, just, so I just say, what would happen next? I do 2000 words a day and what would happen next ends up being, this is a really fascinating thing about it, that maybe if you listen to the show a lot and you're interested in books, you'll hear words like plot and voice and character, and you'll think those are three different elements. And in my experience, having written 30 some novels, I don't think they're different. I think they're of a piece, like mind and body. You know, like we used to think, oh, guess what? Your mind is related to how you feel. If you feel good, you will. your health is better. And then a more, more progressive thinking came along to my mind, which was mind and body are the same thing. Uh. You can't say one influences the other. They actually occupy the same space at the same time, which is not a concept that we cotton to. It seems to go against natural law, but it doesn't, especially when it's an sort of ephemeral and not a tangible thing. Uh. So a plot, so what happens next in a book? Will be, will be a beat of the plot or an event in the plot. It will also tell you something the character does, which will help define him as you go along for the reader. And by the way, for you, if you're an author with that doesn't have an outline. And it will also be told in the voice of the character, which is Hank so helpfully pointed out, is his point of view, how he sees the world, you know? And so you're basically doing many things at once when you are writing it. And what's so cool about that finally is I think that very much mirrors in a very interesting and I think a little bit magical way of what readers do. Because even though we're in a different time and space, we're in the same space when we when you read it and when I write it, because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I secretly think that you feel my anxiety, you poor thing, because I really don't know what's going to happen. And so, then, so when you know, it's very nice that People Magazine picked in. At one point, they said, well, he becomes a really good investigator. I'm like, he's only as good an investigator as I am. I am no genius. I'm just some lady in the suburbs who figured something out that somebody put in that situation, seriously motivated, would have figured out. And I, I think your, your point about seriously motivated is so uh, on point here because it is, a, you know, a book like this is all about, again, what happened to the Bennett's, is all about what does someone want or need and how far will they go to get it? And mm -hmm. is that distance farther than they thought they would ever go? I mean, in a novel, somebody wants something, they're on their way to something and someone, right. something stops them. Right. And then the decision that they make at that point is re reveals action and reveals their character. Do they do the wise thing? Do they do the powerful thing? Do they do the loving thing? Do they do the selfish thing, the protective thing? What is it that they do? And we understand them from that and the story goes ahead. And you're so great at that. Um, individual motivations clashing and churning along the way. Well, you know, it's, and it's the great part of what we do that you, because 
I love, and I think all writing breeds other writing. So keep on writing. You know, if you weren't, I, it took me five years to get published. My first novel was never published. In fact, then I lost it. And then I just wrote another one. And I do think you were kind enough to mention Eternal, which was the first thing I did of historical fiction. Never had done that before. But I learned, honestly, that there's no real difference. Thematically, I'm always writing about family injustice. And I think Venice is a different book because I wrote Eternal because it, there was a little bit more personal history in eternal of the fictional family and families. And then I found myself, because I'm oddly listening to what happened to the Bennett's Now an audiobook, which is a sensational audiobook. And I can say that because I take no credit for it. Um, Eduardo Ballerini is oh. an amazing, amazing actor, narrator, thinker, poet, and he reads the book and he acts every role. And I thought, and weirdly, I listened to it like I didn't write it. I can't explain that, except that I don't have a good memory. I'm like, oh, that's a good twist. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's oh, what yeah. happened. I, I'm like, wow, wow. Somebody had her coffee that day. But it really was. But the truth is, when you have this very um, serendipitous, what, Margaret Marin, wonderful crime writer, mm. used to say, when you don't outline, you allow for serendipity. And I thought, oh, I like that because it's a better, it's better than I'm sick of outlines and I'm going to outline, which is really how I feel. <laughs> well, and I, I don't outline at all. Yeah, exactly the same way. And my yeah. editor says, can't you write an outline? And I say, no, because how do I know what happens until it happens? And it, you know, it happens along the way as the people are making, as the people are making the decision. So you know, I, I, it's sort of an emergent design. The story emerges just like life, just right. like doing an investigative story. Exactly. We don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Do you want to hear how successful authors got their start? The Queries, Quams, and Quirks podcast asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. Author Sarah Nicholas interviews authors of all genres about how they got started writing, getting their book deal, and their experiences with publication. Sounds like something that would be up our alley. Listen on your favorite podcast app or go to sarahnicholas.com for more info. Exactly. And that's what I love about this, Ben, it's because it, you're in his viewpoint. And so you can only know what he knows. And I like books like that. I've written others. I mean, Eternal was, well, it's all this, but it's a different story, different viewpoints. But I like that, just like you say, it is like life. So that when he undergoes a crisis, if you take a realistic character and he undergoes a realistic crisis and he figures it out in a way that step by step you can trace and, and could have done yourself, it ends up being kind of inspiring, if I can say so. It, it inspired is. me. Yeah, it's, you, because it's relatable, because you think he does what I would do. I understand how much he loves his family. I understand how disappointed he is in the system. I understand how disappointed he is and how he thought justice would work and how he finds this in him. Did you name him Jason after the, the Greek mythological character? Is it Jason? Yeah, I actually did. That it's I mean, it's so great because again, because again, rising to the occasion. When you write, so you're writing this from Jason's point of view. Jay, wait, go ahead. What? I'm sorry. A man, a court reporter who loves his family. Do you become mm -hmm. him? Is it like method acting when you write? Yeah, I think you end up, do you feel that way? I feel like you, to a certain extent, you, you start to channel that character. 
Now he did have similarities from my father, but you you know, just the way you know, like your mom. I always think of someone. Just think of someone you know really, really well. You like when they say when they find us murder or something, and they go, "Well, he would never do that." There's people you know what they would do before they do it. The characters end up being like that, you know. And I also loved. I wanted to shine a spotlight, people, on a guy who uh, I know a lot of court reporters. I'm a former lawyer, but I'm also a former paralegal. So I also know a lot of people in law, in law, in the legal profession who are not lawyers. And those people know a lot about law. And I also loved that it gave me a little bit of that meta analysis about truth. Because as he says in the book, I just heard it. I was like, oh, that's good. <laughs> Where he said, I'm not just be braggy. I just forgot that I put that in because I thought it. I didn't know I put it in. But he says something like, you know, he's the one in the room who knows who's lying. Right. Because the lawyers might lie and the witnesses might lie, but he tells the truth. He is the only one in a room that keeps his oath and his oath is to write it down true and correctly. And and I love that he has integrity, but he and I wanted to shine a spotlight on those people and give them the primacy they deserve because. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, it's really, I, I'm just, I'm just soaking up what you're saying because my husband is a criminal defense attorney and we have the same conversation about the other people in the room. A court reporter right. you know, is invisible, but they know, but they hear everything. People ignore them, but they're, they're seeing strategy and they're seeing manipulation and they're see they know what, why people are saying what they're saying and how the stories can go together. And that's brilliant. That's brilliant for a they're brilliant. They're really brilliant. And also that in the real world, if you, as a lawyer, I used to the same court reporter. I became friendly with them. So they knew, they could have told you what my next question would be. And they could have told you what my objection would be. And they really had that converse, they're conversant, but they're also an observer. And they're underestimated. Yeah. And, and, you know, Jason has a lot of skills that his daughter calls his superpowers. And I wanted to explore what are our superpowers? What are ours? We have them. We're not, you know, super Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man movies, but I'm, I don't I don't really relate to him. I go, look at that cool thing he's doing. But I, can, I, I can't fly around. I'm afraid of heights, actually. Uh, and so what inspires me is something like this. As much as Spider-Man is fun, I wanted to. I want to help us get through whatever we have to get through. But you're you're so con you're so conversant in so thoughtful, I would say more, uh, and passionate about justice. What does justice mean? And what does truth mean? Uh, and here's Jason, who um, his whole family is put in witness protection, as you said earlier. And as I was reading it, I thought, well, wait, usually people in witness protection are the bad guys who are being, as you said, paid or protected to rat out the worst guys. But this is so unique and so original that a regular family would be just plucked away from their universe, leaving behind everybody saying what happened to the Bennetts. Well, right? it's kind of unthinkable as applied. Just think about it for us. You know, I do live alone, but also if I go, so I'm in very connected. And if I, to people, you know, so if I wouldn't show up to like, I go to the movies every set, like well, it doesn't matter, but I have a weird little schedule <laughs> and I do these things. And if I didn't show up, um, and not to call, I'm never even late. If I'm 15 minutes late, you should call 911. I'm that person, right? I like nice margins. I like to be calm. I don't like to stress myself out. So 
you know, I love that the comfort we give others in our lives. And I wanted to look at that too. You know, Lucinda, who's the wife in this book, and I really like her as a character, even though she's different from Jason. She is a mother. She loves her mother very much. Her mother's in assisted living and, and memory care because she has Alzheimer's. How do you leave that person? How, you know, we're very good at, I have another, my best friend, Laura. She'll, as soon as she, she if she's in the air on a plane, she texts me when she lands. I landed. So does Francesca. I landed. We are checking in on each other all the time in the world. And those are the people, like my daughter always says, I'm always her speed dial. Mom's always who you call when something bad happens or something good. You can't check in. You can't even say, I'm okay. Don't sweat it. So they're you know, saying, so all of their friends from their old life are are wondering what happens, worrying whether they've killed each other, worried whether there's been some disaster. And, you know, they're all connected on social media and they can't, they're, they're told you do not exist anymore. Right. Um, and that is such a brilliant plot because even the, even Lucinda's mom who has Alzheimer's doesn't really know she's not there maybe. Yeah. So, but still Lucinda is such a good person that she says, I have to, I have to see my mom. So this push pull of what the greater good is in right. the search for justice is such a, I mean, this is a page turner. This is a thriller, but the bigger question, a bigger question included. So seamlessly is thinking about justice and what that means on a small level and on a super large level. Well, that's so kind of you to say. I mean, I think the thing is also it's embedded in his character mm. that I make him, you know, we think about, especially with thrillers, which I think I just want books to move fast. I don't want anyone to bore me. Right. And so Jason, I sort of say, well, he's from Hershey, Pennsylvania, which is a little bit like where I live. I live in Chester County in Pennsylvania. It's very rural. It's the rolling hills of Pennsylvania. But when the witness protection program in the initial phase, there's an application phase, they take him to Delaware and he's in a beach town in Delaware on a marsh. And so I wanted to intensify. It's really a story about a guy in trouble, you know, and a family in trouble and to intensify his sense of dislocation that instead of ter terra firma underneath his feet, there's marsh, there's tides, there's no solidity anymore. Sometimes there's land and sometimes there's not. And everything's new to him. And it was so funny, kind of cool to, because I researched it and went down to Delaware, which is a lovely part of Delaware. But I went down in the beginning of the pandemic. And it was the time, if you remember, when na is nature taking over? Okay, let me tell you, nature was taking over. And I was, where I pictured this is all these houses that are really lovely, but deserted in wintertime. Mm -hmm. And I have a nature preserve. And I swear to God, it, there was just chirps I couldn't identify. I know a lot about nature. There were birds I hadn't seen. A blue heron flew overhead, which I put in the book because I was like, it was magnificent. It was a magnificent thing and angular and gorgeous and graceful, but also powerful. And I was like, I'm having a religious experience with this. No, bird. I hear you. I hear you. It's, I mean, I know that the book was life changing in there, and it is to read it as well, because it makes you think what you would do, what your family would do, how you would react. And speaking of your gorgeous setting, though, that there's a scene in a forest. Mm -hmm. That is that real? That was another crazy thing I discovered. And this is what I love about research of all kinds. Plus, whenever you're doing research, you don't have to write that day. You're off. Oh. <laughs> but it's still chaos, so don't feel bad. But um, one of the things that happens in the salt marshes, and it happened in Delaware, is that salt comes in, because, and happily because of climate change, and kills trees in a forest at the root. And so what happens is the trees tend to uh, turn white 
they all the leaves fall off. They don't really fall over. It takes them a long time to fall over. What happens is they turn white and they get like sticks. And I think I said here, I'll quote myself, but I sound like a jerk. But I mean, I went to a ghost forest. It's called a ghost forest. And you go, you can't get better than that in crime fiction. Like you need, like, if you don't know what to do with that, you should get fired, honestly. <laughs> so, I mean, and I'm like, this is great because they have a ghost in their family and they're sort of in a beach town in the winter and it feels like a ghost town. And here's the ghost forest. And I said, I think it, it looks like lightning strikes. I mean, it looks like, it looks like bones out of the water. It's the freakiest, freakiest thing. But I was like, all right, well, what are you going to do with this setting? This the setting Gives you atmosphere, but you still have to have action, especially in a thriller, because things have to move along. You're not wasting anyone's time. So I just, I, I, I hope that the setting in almost every turn in this in this novel um, underlined its action and also its emotionality. And that's what you do perfectly in every scene in What Happened to the Bennetts. And I want you, if I look over here, you all, as you know, I'm looking at your comments. And Bozenia is saying, this book sounds so exciting. Getting to know the author, a must read. And Pamela is saying, ooh, ghost forest. Wow. Um, you, it is fast paced. And there are lots of places that people go in this book. Talk to me again briefly, and then we'll take questions. So get ready for your questions and the giveaway, you all. And you know you get to see the Wheel of Fun. We love that in 92. Um, what Happened to the Bennetts is so multi-layered as a title. Talk a little bit about how you picked it. And did you have to fight for that, or was it always that? I uh, I didn't have to fight for it. I have a really, Pundum is a wonderful publisher. And I um, we talk about title, but I, I kind of really loved it. Yeah. And because I thought this is either a great title. <laughs> you know, you're like, my daughter and I always play a game if we go shopping, like we're looking at clothes and she'll hold it up and she'll go pimp or whack. And the idea, is it beautiful or is it horrible? And sometimes yeah. things are really close. So like, this is either the pimpiest or the wackiest title, but I loved it because you could go, well, every book is what happened to the whatevers. But I'm like, you never see that. And it also kind of, I wanted it to be, uh, I, I wanted it to, be not necessarily categorized because I don't like that. I think there's a lot of people who read my books who don't think they read mysteries or thrillers. Mm -hmm. And I go, I, I actually never think of myself that way. I think I'm writing really fast paced stories. I used to think they're really fast paced stories about women. Now I think they're sometimes about men and a dog somewhere or a cat. So, you know, that's what I think I'm doing. And the title dovetailed because what happens, oh, smash your pass, there you go. <laughs> And what happens with the title is a little bit that um, I won't give anything away, but as as we live in a world of social media, and even though the Bennetts can't be on it, they can tap into it. And they, they see that I love vis-a-vis -vis a crime fiction community, true crime enthusiasts, and that's a weird way to put it, but people who follow true crimes and try to solve them. And I love that. It goes back to what you're saying. To a certain extent, everybody can be investigative reporter, not as professional, or have Emmys like you, Hank, you know, but, but everybody can subpoena documents or not subpoena, but you'll look up documents and do research. Put things together, do research. Everybody can. And if you're motivated, if it's your child, if it's your friend, or just the police department isn't getting to it, or let's face it, they have limits to their budgets, more and more people are getting involved in true crime and actually solving crime. So when the they start to go, what happened to planets? And that is the guy's blog. So uh, it kind of dovetailed with the title. So it's what happened to the Bennetts, meaning what happened to the Bennetts? Like, where did they go? And also what happened to the Bennetts, the family unit? What happened 
to the Bennetts as a result of this domino falling over. And you were talking about the, and we'll get to the questions in one second, the true crime blogger who thinks they're doing something helpful and thinks they're doing something to help the Bennetts. Um, and we're and we're thinking, no, don't look into this. Don't look for them. Don't do this. Don't do this. So I'm not giving anything away, not at all, about what happened to the Bennetts. You all, you will love this book. You will not be able to put it down. One of the great reviews, I think Perka said something like, start this in the, with the Starg review, said, start this in the morning because you will not want to put it down. And I, I was so happy Welcome, Gail. Why do so many lawyers become thriller suspense mystery writers? Great question. <laughs> well, the short answer, answer is they want to quit, but that's not true. <laughs> that wasn't true. My, I only quit because my daughter was born and I'm a single, I was a single mom, so I had to stay, I wanted to stay home with her. But I actually think that it's kind of goes to what we were saying before in that, you know, the truth is we're all storytellers. You know, at the end of the day, if you're lucky enough, you'll go home and someone will say, how was your day? What happened today? And you'll tell the continuing saga of the coworker who makes you nuts or the guy at the checkout counter or the, the mask or not the mask or whatever happened. And I just think that people become lawyers because they like to tell a story. If you, if you can tell a story well, you'll end up being a good lawyer at least a litigator, because essentially what you're doing, which I was, essentially you're standing in front of a jury at some point and you're going to go, here's a set of facts. These are the facts that matter and the ones that don't. Ignore the ones that don't. Here's the ones that do and see them my way. And that is essentially all that a novelist is doing. You're going, here's a set of facts. Here's a point of view. That's voice. And here's what I'm going, here's the story. And here's how this person would tell this story. And what makes it cool? What makes it what makes a cool book like what happened to the Bennetts is that we, you know, we our readers are smart. Your readers are smart, and we think, oh, we know what's going on. We believe the story that this person is telling. And then suddenly, but there's you, the author, behind the scenes, saying, you know, watch what I'm going to do now. This is not what you expected, and that must be so much fun. That must be so much fun. Who else has a question? Ah, Anissa, welcome. How do you stop researching and get to the writing? I so I know there are so many rabbit holes you can go down and never come back. There's the deadline. Right. Always good. Right. There's that. And also I have um, you know, I have stern talking twos. I say to myself, I waste time during the day. I mean, I basically start at nine o'clock and do the two thousand words and hope that it only takes till six. But sometimes I get dinner and then I have to come back. But um we all have ways to waste time on Twitter. I love Twitter. Uh, it's only me on social media, so I do waste some time on social media. But I am, um, you know, I think that, re and research can be really, really fun, but can also be that. It can also be a way to avoid the actual writing. And, but I think it's worth doing. I don't do it in advance. Uh, I only did with Bennett's, I made a phone call in advance because I had to kind of dig around to my, and I found somebody in WITSEC since I 30 years and 30 books kind of start to know some people in the FBI and got some good advice about how would, well, not advice, got the facts about what would happen in this situation. Where would the family be sent? Is it really true they can't contact anybody? Because honestly, there was a little part of me that couldn't believe it. Yeah. But it's absolutely true. You, They go, listen, you don't have to be in this program, as he says in the book. This is our rules. If you want our safety, we've never lost anybody. We won't lose you, but you have to do what we say. Well, what adult wants to do what anyone else says anyway? I mean, I spent my whole life not doing it. You know, so so I really, so I do a little bit of research that ups up, but I try to make sure that it doesn't delay me from starting 
or avoid my work. And then as needed, if I start to go, oh, I don't know what this part of Delaware looks like, I have to get in the car. And it's so fascinating. It always yields you something. I always say to myself, you always get something out of research that you didn't expect because you didn't know it before. It's like when people say, um, you know, if you want to learn something, stop talking. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm on hang show. I'll talk to you guys and it's fun. But really you learn when you listen and research is just listening. Oh, we should type that up and keep that forever. Absolutely. You've had you've said thought, so many marvelous things in this interview. You know why? This you why. I had some of these before. I <laughs> Oh, that's great. I How love them so They're just small. Anyway, they're small. How bad can that be? Um, let's have one more. Uh, Anna saying both of you need to get together more often. Yes, we do. Um, we love you, Catherine, too. what a really brilliant question. What do you hope readers take from the book? I love that. Well, I really like readers to decide on their own. But I will say that I think everything I write to a certain extent will empower you. And I hope that it sort of takes you on this ride, but you understand that you can come out of it and that you can deal with anything that comes your way. Many of us have had things thrown at us that we didn't expect. Life, you really don't know where life will lead you. And you can get through it. And that's that's what I hope readers take away. Because I don't think it could get worse than what he goes through, but he really, he gets through it. The story of Jason Bennett, the father, and what happened to the Bennetts is profound. It's riveting. It's a page turner. It's absolutely unique. I've never read anything like this, and I absolutely could not put it down. Congratulations, Lisa, on another wonderful, another wonderful novel. You're you're quite an icon and quite a treasure, and we are so honored. Thank you, Well, that means so much coming from you because I love your novels as well. And my God, that's just really, that's just lovely of you to say. Well, I hope you'll have time at, when this is over to look at the comments because there's cheers and applause and Sully is here and Shannon is here and Cherry is here and everybody is here. Brenda is loving you and applauding you and giving you standing. I know, I see some, I love Lisa's candy fuel. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I love it too, I love it too. Um, let's spin the wheel of fun, you all. This is like first time for the wheel of fun and see who wins a copy of what happened to the Bennetts. Here we go and where it stops. What is this? This is adorable. This is all Margaret Pinard behind mm -hmm. the scenes has figured out how this is going to work. And oh my God! Yay! Do you know Casey? My Twitter buddy. My Twitter buddy. Oh, that's great. She, Casey is a wonderful author working on her book sure is. as well. So this will be fantastic. Um, Lisa, congratulations again. Thank you for being with us. Um, I hope you will come back for your next book and tell Anytime. us all but your plans you. and your glories. And I and long it. may your 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 room of accolades grow <laughs> and grow and grow. I want to say thank you and thank you not only from me, but for all you do. I don't think there is anyone, not anyone in the crime fiction community that does as much for other authors as you. And that is just a statement of fact, girl. And I am so grateful to you. And I know I still, you know, with your schedule to find the time to do all you do, uh, I just hope that everybody really appreciates you. I know that everybody does, but I want them to understand that you are just really amazing and you stand out above all of us. And I appreciate it so much.
My mascara is about to run. <laughs> Thank you so much for your incredible. Love you, honey. Thank you, everyone, for being here. And I want to keep you here for two seconds to, sh okay. to tell you all who are listening that in about 15 minutes, do go get a cup of coffee, go get a cup of tea, go get some M&Ms. That would be good because we are going to talk to Jilly McMillan at four o'clock today, coming to us from the UK with this amazing book that says three couples, two bodies, one secret. And you ain't heard nothing yet. So come back in 15 minutes for Jillian McMillan. And remember, thank you, Lisa. And remember, tell Francesca we said hi. Tell Laura we said hi. Um, and remember you all, it's always safe inside a book. Thanks for joining us. I'm Trisha Blanchett for a Mighty Blaze podcast. My debut novel, Herrick's End, book one of the Neath Trilogy, is available now wherever you get your books. My handle is TM Blanchett on BookTok, Bookstagram, Facebook, and Book Twitter, and I'd love to see you there. We'll see you next time for an episode featuring Wayna Die Randell. Until then, keep your blaze burning and your pages turning. Thank you.